Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I am your host on this Sunday afternoon. Hope that your uh, weekend is flowing smoothly. I know mine is. I'm here with Kevin Farrell, our producer. We always appreciate his input, patience, and his uh, spiritual advice. My guest today is my old friend, John Mohead. We'll refer to him simply as Mohead moving forward because that's his stage name. Am I right, John? Uh, until my Scots-Irish uh, family came here in 17-something, yeah, it, uh, I think it transitioned from Moorhead to Mohead, but we won't go there. Uh, <laughs> well, I've always said Mohead. <laughs> That's what everybody does, yeah. yeah. It's like the town. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Mohead. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, welcome. We're glad you're yeah, here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, so you are currently residing uh, in uh, Moon Lake, which is uh, not a town or a village. It's a community? How would you describe uh, that's Moonlight? That's a good way, you know, uh, community. It is. Yeah, it's unincorporated um, mm-hmm. Mississippi community. The nearest uh, incorporated town is Lula, and um, and then we have the Mississippi River on the west. So, right. yeah, we're, <laughs> we're surrounded by Now, water. speaking of the Mississippi River, you were born in Memphis, uh, not far from the riverbanks, right? In the same hospital that Elvis died in. Oh, boy. Uh, the, the old Baptist Hospital downtown. And how long yeah. did you live in Memphis before you came south? Uh, not long. A um, couple of years, I guess. Um, and then um, a family. Um, I've got a you know, huge clan of family around the Moon Lake area, and that's that's where we settled. So you, you grew up going to Moon Lake always? Is that, or, or did... You know, when I, yeah, we, we didn't live on the lake, but it was a big deal when my grandmother would take us to the lake, you know. To um, eat, to go to yeah, the restaurant, yeah. to, to go skiing, go boating, um, fishing, whatever. Well, they didn't take us out to, to restaurants, you know, at that age. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, we were, that would have been pretty risky. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she, uh, she had a cabin on the lake and she would take us down there and, uh, you know, we made homemade ice cream and, you know, it's it the stuff that, you know, hmm. your lake childhood house. is made. Yeah, yeah. Like a lake house. Yeah. And is it still that? Are there still people with week, weekend lake houses on oh, the yeah. moon lake? Is that and, primarily what it is? Uh, probably half of it. There's mm-hmm. probably, I don't know, 250 households on moon lake and probably at least a third of them are, are Memphis weekenders. And how would you describe sort of in the elevator version for people who don't really know the legend of Moon Lake, it was a very legendary place. A lot of interesting things when a lot of musicians played there. It yeah. had a mystique about it growing up. Um, well, it started out as as part of the main channel of the Mississippi River. Hmm. Uh, and I think it was around, you know, whatever, that um, the big New Madrid earthquake uh, that made the river flow backwards. I think right. it started changing channels, you know. Uh, the the main channel started shifting westward, um, but it was still open, and uh, private landowners made their own levees, um, probably in the 1840s, I guess, mm-hmm. to try to you know keep the river out, right, and try to farm the land around it. Uh, in the 18, I think it was 1863, uh, Ulysses S. Grant and his campaign to get to Vicksburg, um, he. Uh, blasted a hole in the levee right there at Moon Lake and made his whole flotilla through Moon Lake. So we always say that, you know, Grant was the first tourist of Moon Lake. You know. <laughs> Do you know uh, Grant's papers at Mississippi State University? I just read that the other day. Mississippi has two presidential libraries, uh, one for Jefferson Davis on the Mississippi Gulf Coast yeah. and the other for Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, who did that deal? You know, <laughs> A guy named uh, Murkowska, uh, I'm getting his name wrong, a professor at Mississippi State, was uh, a Grant uh, scholar. 
and uh, and he came to work at Mississippi State and brought the papers with him and huh. asked Mississippi State if they would make a home for him, and they agreed. And they've just recently done a complete renovation of the fourth floor of the library and put the papers up there, and the whole presidential uh, library is up there. It's amazing. Huh. That is amazing. Anyway, so after Grant, yeah. then. Um, well, uh, Grant took his flotilla down the Yazoo Pass, which is the outlet of Moon Lake, and I think they got as they probably got as far as Greenwood, I think, and uh, got turned around. And he abandoned that idea. But uh, there's two um, ironclads, supposedly. Rumor has it that there's two ironclads that were sunk in Yazoo Pass, not too far off of Moon Lake. So uh-huh. uh, low water, everybody says they can see the turrets. You know, wow, it's kind of cool. So, uh, what town did you live in as a child? Did was it uh, wasn't Clarksdale, was it? No, but like you know, went to school in Clarksdale. That was that's where that you was went to school. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's like, you know, 20 minutes from Moon Lake. First stage performance of Greg Allman's Midnight Rider uh, at the Methodist Church. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, I just uh, I probably got the bug uh, at that point. Yeah. That's when you abandoned sports and took up music. That was kind of later on. That was, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was uh, probably always somewhat of a loner, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm a total right brainer and I was just kind of in my own world and, uh, uh, you know, was in you know junior high band and all that and then also did football and um you know i got the attention of more girls with football than i did my um, <laughs> saxophone skills so i think i stuck with uh, football for a while yeah um and then yeah broke uh broke my ankle and was laid up in the uh, football team manager uh, played country music oddly enough and um and his family was a friend of conway twitty's so you know, uh-huh. I thought, well, hmm, we'll try to give this a <laughs> see, try. Yeah. See how that works. Yeah. Um, yeah, but speaking of, you know, Moon Lake, I mean, you know, Conway Twitty, is, his mother lived there. In fact, I remember when his mother was there. And his uh, son, Michael Twitty, you know, they were all, I mean, I got to know all those folks. But uh, And then Conway himself had a nightclub right across from right across the street from the restaurants I've got now uh-huh. there it was it was called Conway's believe it or not now Catherine's which is the restaurant yeah. that, that was open there in the 30s yeah and that you now own and operate yep uh, we're going to talk more about the restaurant later but is that a place that the tangents would have taken me back in the 80s uh, just for where bands played and good times were had by all they didn't uh, I don't think they had music uh, there so much um there was another place uh, right next to it um, called Uncle Henry's. Okay. And they ca- occasionally did. How but, many uh, establishments, public establishments, are there on Moon Lake? Well, uh, we've got the only show in town now. Back, mm-hmm. back then, there were Uncle Henry's and, and Catherine's. So um, at its heyday, though, were there three, four, or always I, I just think two? There were, yeah, there were several. Um, you know, Catherine's, the place I've got, uh, they had like this closed-door policy where you know, they wouldn't let you in unless they knew you. They had right. like it was a speakeasy thing. Correct. And um, like the Crystal Grill in Greenwood. Yeah, and it was totally. It wasn't you know like a you know a profiling thing. It was just like you know they sold illegal booze. Right. You know, Mississippi was not <laughs> uh, legally wet until like what 1970 or something like that. Well. No, it was earlier than that. I think sixty four. So, but uh, you know, for package stores, yeah. and then finally to to go into a bar and have a drink, it was almost yeah. the sixties. Yeah, I mean the seventies for yeah. sure. Because when we we started renovating Catherine's, we started tearing up some of the floor, and we found just 
cases and cases of empty half pint bottles oh, underneath. They ought to be worth something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but at some point early in your life, you you got interested in the blues. Started hanging out with Sam Carr, going to his house and uh, yeah. digging with him, right, or learning slide from him. Well, right? yeah, because I got like introduced to you know Conway Twitty and country music. Uh, back when it was really country music, you know, that was like in the um, late 70s, early 80s. And um, and then the Jelly Roll Kings, uh, who were, this is like the seven degrees of separation from Conway. Mm-hmm. You know, this, uh, the Jelly Roll Kings, which were the local blues band, they were the house band at Conway's. And you know, I didn't know that much later, but... Um, Sam Carr was the drummer for them. Sam Carr, Frank Frost, Harmonica King, and um, um, uh, Big Jack Johnson. Oh boy, guitar player. That's, that's that an all-star jelly- band. I know, man. I know. <laughs> um, and you know, they had done an album that was like huge in Europe. You know, as a lot of blues was then. You know, and um, I started going over to Sam's house. You know, and I kind of gotten bored with country. I guess it was like, oh, let's see what the other side's doing. Yeah. You know, and um, <laughs> He had a little music room in the back of his house. He lived in the middle of a cotton field, and, I mean, it was just surreal. You know, it was surreal back then. It really is, looking back on it. And um, he had a Fender Rhodes keyboard set up that Frank would play, and he had his drum kit, and Jack would come over, and, I mean, and people would just show up. You know, it mm-hmm. was just it was phenomenal experience. <laughs> yeah. And then later, I mean, I, you know, I didn't know anything then. It's like... And so, you know, Sam, what's that uh, that purple Gretsch guitar hanging off the wall? And he said, oh, that was that was my father's. And well, who's your father? Robert Nighthawk. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, yeah, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Uh, what's this slide? You know, <laughs> who made this slide? It was a uh, it was a piece of copper. I, I use a socket wrench, but yeah. it was a piece of copper. It's like, who's, oh, that was his father's. Wow. You know, just stuff like that. And it was such a shame, like, toward the end of Sam's life, um, this Japanese collector came through Offered him a thousand dollars for all of it and sold it. I mean, it's just yeah, yeah. It's in a collection in Japan somewhere now. So then you uh, you went up to Memphis, knocked on Sam Phillips' door when you were about seventeen or so. Yeah, right. You thought then you were going to make a record. Well, I just you know you get the bug, you know, and um, at that point in most musicians' life, you know, you're bulletproof. You're not scared of anything, right? Uh, because you don't know to be scared, you know. <laughs> you have to learn first. <laughs> yeah, big deal, you know. Um, so, um, you know, he just he listened to me and said, "Keep picking." <laughs> Good luck, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but it is, you know, the the older you get, the more. You know, reserved, you you start thinking, well, maybe I'm not that good, you know. But it, it, when you're a teenager, you know, garage band thing, yeah. you know, think about it. You're, you know, full of angst and, you know. You know three chords? I mean, yeah. let's go. What else do you need, <laughs> you know? And at some point thereafter, you dropped out of Delta State and decided to go to Nashville. Is that right? Well, I got a, I, I pitched some songs um, before I got there, and um, I got a call one day and said, hey, this group, you know, they were on, I don't know, it was epic. They were on a major label, and um, they had some push behind them, and uh, they just cut, you know, one of your songs, and, um, you know, you might all start trying to write some more. So I said, well, see you this week. You know? Yeah, pack it up and move yeah. to Nashville. Okay, we're going to uh, take a little break here and listen to some music, and uh, we've asked Mohead to do two things. One was to play us a, an acoustic tune live here in the studio, and then also to share from his new record, 
his uh, his new album called Son of the South. And this particular tune, you want to set it up real quick? Then we're going to play the title track, Son of the South. Yeah, I mean, it's like um, I, I try to live by that uh, Fogger mantra and write about what you know. So um, this song, just listen to the lyrics, uh, songs about what we all know, you know, growing up here. All right, Son of the South. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I am your host today in the studio with John Mohead. Welcome yes, back, sir. John. Thank you. Glad you're here. That tune we just listened to is from your brand new record, LP, whatever you call them, disc these days. Uh, so this is like hot off the press, right? Yeah. Uh, it's been out nationally for about eight weeks, I guess, mm-hmm. um, going to AAA radio. With it, and um, that's and then, Americana to those of us who don't yeah, speak in yeah, and, code. Um, and then it gets released in Europe by um, a label that used to have me there. Uh, it's called Continental. It gets released in Europe in um, September, I believe. So, where did you record this this piece of, At, of music? Uh, wonderful Ardent Studios. Oh boy, about as good as it gets. It, it was a wonderful experience. I mean, it just you know that place could be a museum. Mm-hmm. Um, with all the hits, all the gold and platinum records on the wall, and uh, the stories that the engineers tell, and um, Jody Stevens, who was the drummer in Big Star, Jody's still there. He still works there, wow. and uh, he's just super guy and super uh, supporter. And I, you know, I kept coming in. It's like, man, I hadn't done this in ten years, and you he's know, like, and you got just, it. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. he was. Well, he was every morning. Now, how many of these songs did you write? I mean, I know that you did not write Louisiana, nineteen twenty-seven. Uh, unfortunately, no. <laughs> no, because if you had, you wouldn't be sitting the, here the, talking to me, Yeah, right? this, this fellow named Randy Newman wrote that yeah. one. And Blue Canoe, that's a... Uh, Carrie Hudson. Carrie Hudson song. Yeah. What about the others? Yeah, everything else. Everything is else is yours. Yeah. Okay, great, great. So so this process of writing these tunes from start to finish, I'm going to make a record. i got to be in the studio by such and such date. How long does, does this take you? Well, this... Um, I, I took my time on this. Um, usually... In the old days, 10 years ago when I did this with the label, and the label's paying for it, mm-hmm. you go in, you've got set budget, and you go in and knock it out hopefully in a week. That's, you know, the parameters that I when I was on uh, Rounder uh, Jim, and Jim O'Neill's label. Um, a, a week is about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you had your stuff together, you could do it. But you were, uh, I was always like, Man, I wish I'd have done this different. Or I wish I'd have done that. Right. And so with this, I, you know, I went through a long dry spell, and I didn't know if I could do this, and I didn't know if I really wanted to do this. So I tiptoed um, into it, and so I booked like two days at a time, and I went in, and it's like, okay, this is like riding a bike. I, you know, I can do this, and laid down a rhythm track and a guitar, uh, drums and guitar, and took it back home, listened to it for a couple of days, booked two more days. I mean, so I, I drew it out. I got you. And, um, you know, it, it just, it was a building process. And, um, you know, rather than going in, we didn't cut everything, the whole thing live. But, you know, I was feeling my way through it. It's Producing is probably my, you know, least um, knowledgeable aspect of this. You know, you producing to me is just hearing things, you know, that are in the unknown and you try to insert that on tape. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Right. Um, it can be one of the best players, best musicians in the world 
and sometimes it just doesn't work, you know. So uh, it's it's back to the cooking thing, you know. It's so so many similarities between that and you know, you might think this fennel would really set this dish off, right. but you know, so fennel's Killed one of those it. things that you know, kind of like a cello. You know, yeah. cello just doesn't work on everything. You know? Right. Um, I, I actually used a cello for the first time on this record um, on two songs. And what and instruments did you play on this? Um, I played everything but drums and cello. Mm-hmm. I played uh, bass, played B3, piano, guitars. Um, Dr. John Brand from uh, Hattiesburg is playing uh, a solo on one of those tracks. Um, she Won't Be Home, I think is the name of that song. Uh, Dr. John Brand is, we're cousins, but uh, his son was the, um, he was in the Ole Miss Theater Department and won, you know, all these awards for his theater production and his writing. He writes his own plays, and he's in L.A. now, so we got a son. Um, father might hopefully will steal some thunder from Junior. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what? this is record number what? Um, the six. Sixth one, six, yeah. So, so you made five records in your first career. Yeah. Your first run at this, yeah. which which was with a band called Mohead, yeah. right? And uh, on Rounder, working with Jim O'Neill, some is that right? Yeah, that well, the first record, yeah, uh, Jim did. Um, and I, you know, all the days I was in Nashville, I, I didn't have, I had publishing deals, but I never had a record deal. Jim was the one who, you know, he did, he was a, a strict and still is a strict blues purist, right? Um, but he wanted to branch out, knowing that you know there is a lot more music in Mississippi other than just blues, and um, so he started this production thing called Ocratone, mm-hmm. and he shopped that out to Rounder, and that's where that came about. At the same time, he was uh, publishing Living Blues magazine, living in yeah. Clarksdale, had the record store, yeah, right, yeah, and doing this as well, yeah. Uh-huh. And um, what year was this? Ninety-seven, I believe. Okay. And that store was just, I mean, it was a mecca. Unbelievable. Uh, you know, I met Billy Gibbons in there. He yeah. just strolls in and just, you know, Jim O'Neill was was a, literally a guru. Right. People were coming from all over the world. I mean, you know, heads of labels, um, you know, Robert Plant, his first visit to Clarksdale, that's where he went. He sought him out. Um, and so, you know, being under Jim's wing was, I mean, it was huge to make, you know. Right. Um, and I was the first white artist that he'd ever cut. He'd never cut anybody, like, like any genre like that. And, of course, uh, Jim still is one of the scholars on the Mississippi uh, Blues Trail. He does yeah. all the marker work. Still yeah. writes, still does research. He's very active. But he doesn't live in Mississippi anymore. Uh, Kansas City. Yeah. But, yeah. Right. Uh, but that record, actually, it was real raw and, you know, it's, you know, it's, it was just raw. And... Um, and it, we cut it all live, and it was, you know, it was in Jim's style. It was, it was, you know, it was a more of a roots version of his, the blue stuff that he. And cut. that was Lula City Limits. Yes, yeah, and um, and that's how I got the the gig with Bob Dylan, through that. Uh, Bob Dylan's and his band were passing through Clarksdale, stopped at Shelley Ritter's um, Delta Blues Museum, and. That she had my CDs there, and along with others, and they they bought my CD, and um, one this I don't know it was months afterwards, I get a call, and this is nobody was really using cell phones then. This mm-hmm. is, like I said, it's ninety seven, ninety eight. I get a call, and um, 
Scott said that um, Bob would like for you to open um, <laughs> for him in Memphis and Birmingham and maybe Mobile. And, you know, I just, you know, Bob. Bob who? Uh, Bob Dylan. <laughs> and uh, so I'm just like, who in the heck is this, yeah. you know? Ha, ha, ha. Um, and the guy kept saying, no, I'm, I can't remember his name now. Um, but he was Dylan's road manager. And he's like, you yeah, know, Bob, won't you? Know? <laughs> and um, so finally we, we cut through the chase and it was legit. And um, they send me a contract and I'm just like, I'm calling all my friends. Like, Man, you won't believe it. I'm opening up for Dylan, you know. And the day before, I think the first one was, um, I think the first one was in Birmingham or Mobile. That's what it was. Um, the day before, they called me up and said, Bob decided not to do an opener. <laughs> and I was devastated. I mean, it's the ups and downs of the music business. I was just like, oh my gosh, yeah. Wow. That's when he was doing like small theater shows. So I just, you know, went into severe depression, you know, <laughs> after that. that ended most careers um, right there. And then uh, like a month or so, two months later, they called me back and uh, said, um, Bob would like for you to be at the New Daisy on such and such date. And uh, there was one other date um, with it. And that was, I think, in. Um, I think it was in Georgia, but um, uh, John Rusky came as my roadie, you know, because Rusky was like this huge Dylan yeah, fan. And I said, yeah. oh, man, I'm opening up for Dylan at the New Daisy. You want to come? Sure. <laughs> sure. So, um, so we're backstage. We, you know, get the, you know, the opening act sounds check and all that. And uh, Dylan comes in and he, he has all this security, which I was amazed by. Like guys with, you know, machine guns. Yeah. I mean, it's like serious security. <laughs> But uh, Dylan had like this, you know, string tie yeah. and his cowboy hat. And I'll never forget as long as I live, Rusky's first comment out of his mouth, because Dylan's here. He's, you know, shaking her hands. And uh, Dylan starts walking off, and R Rusky says, he looks just like Mr. Lincoln. <laughs> and I was like, that's so bizarre. It's like, what do you mean he looks like Mr. Lincoln? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Lincoln looks like Bob Dylan. What do you mean? <laughs> Oh, uh, man. So the list of people you work with is is pretty impressive. The Almond Brothers, Little Feet, Billy Joe Shaver, Tower Power, and on and on and on. Lucinda Williams, uh, the Dixie Chicks, Taj Mahal, Willis Allen Ramsey. Now, not many people have worked with Willis Allen uh, Ramsey. No. I have. Um, I presented him one time and talk about a quirky dude. Yeah. Tell me about working oh, yeah. with Willis Allen Ramsey. Um, that was at a place, I think it was called the Magnolia Inn. And it was, um, gosh, was it? It's right there by uh, um, False River, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. um, trying to think of the name of that town. A lot of Annabelle stuff. It's you know, across the river, Natchez, and um, I cannot think of the name of the town. But this Tallulah? No, no, that's a Vicksburg. No, uh, oh, this was like, uh, wrong, wrong crossing. Yeah. Um, anyway, anyway but, the, but the name of the, of the club was the Magnolia Inn. It was right. like an old motor court. Okay. That they had covered, but it was awesome. But he came in and he was uh, uh, just angry, you know, just like he was, you know, he didn't want to be playing there. It was a small place and um, sound was not great. And just, you know, it's just one of those deals. But but it was Willis Allen Ramsey, man, you know. Well, when I worked with him, he was opening for uh, Emmylou Harris hmm. at Howlin' Mouse. And uh, he, he did a sound check. And he complained about the sound, the system, and yeah. the, everything the whole time. And then he came on, and he played through one song, and he just said, Hey, y'all, I can't hear myself at all. 
really appreciate you being here, but that's it for me. And he walked off the stage, and that was the, the end Man. of his show. <laughs> he said he couldn't Man. hear himself. So, but Good, what a fa- I love the guy. I love his the, the well, album. You know, that that's just you know the whole story of why he's never done anything <laughs> after that because right. he can't find a studio that can match the quality of and, and what he hears in his yeah, head. It yeah. can't be replicated. Yeah, that's I mean after yeah, that one record, uh, Ray Wiley Hubbard. I asked him. I said, "Well, how's Willis doing?" He said, oh, he's just crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. Talented dude. Um, So you burned out, it says, uh, in in some of the information I read right after 9-11, and you took a bunch of time off. Do you want to talk about um, how does it feel to burn out and then to to get your flame going again? I can tell you exactly. And and I used to kind of be embarrassed about it, but then I was like, you know what? Uh, People hit a wall, and I hit... You know, being in the restaurant business, I mean, you can relate to that, and too. It's just sometimes you just hit a wall. And right. we were touring. Um, I had a manager that was in Telluride, Colorado, and, and he was pushing us more as a jam band. And we were, well, we were playing, I don't know, 200 dates a year. And um, sometimes we were in buses, sometimes we were in vans, sometimes we were in planes. I mean, it was, you know, it was the deal. You know, it's yeah. what you it's the music work business. for, you know, and. <laughs> Uh, and we were playing at a place in Sarasota, Florida, and it's like a 500-seater, and we probably had 400 people in there. And um, this B3 player I had, he was playing this beautiful solo, and I was listening to it. I just locked in on it, and I looked at the audience, and no one was listening. And it just got to me that no one was listening. I was like, what are we doing here? You know? <laughs> right. And I took my guitar off in the middle of the song and put it on the stand and walked down the street, sat on a park bench and just, you know, boo-hooed. You know, like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I'm done. And, yeah. I mean, I, and that was it. That was it. But, um, you know, um, it led me to um, other things. And, uh, you know, I, I did an art gallery in Clarksdale called the Brick Gallery. And, um Got into, you know, as a restaurateur, um, chef, and, you know, I didn't plan on being a chef, but um, I couldn't find anybody that would work. So I was like, <laughs> you know, I, I can cook. I, you know, I kind of studied under, you know, this Cajun guy, but I never, you know, nothing, no formal training. Right. Um, and so, uh, but cooking for, you know, four people at your house to cooking for 100 plates at dinner is a different <sighs> yeah. animal, you know. It's the demise of most people who get into business. Somebody yeah. tells them they're a good barbecue cook, and then they open a restaurant, yeah. and that's the end of that story. Yeah. Or they can mix once, a drink. You know, once their like, money or all their investors' yeah. money has gone, so are they. Yeah. My guest today is uh, John Mohead. He's got a brand-new record out called Son of the South. Uh, in the first segment, we played a piece of the studio recording, the, the title tune, Son of the South. But now we're going to ask John to uh, open up his guitar case, get out his guitar, which he brought with him. And play a song live for us here in the studio. It's a it's an audience of two. It's Kevin Farrell and myself. And this tune is from the first record. Oh no, not the first. Was Lula City Limits the first record that you did? Yeah, but uh, that song was not on there. Wasn't on. Uh, it. No, that was not on there. I, that, that's, intro intro the train leaving Lula. Uh, I was renting a house on Moon Lake, and um, I had a golden retriever named Betsy, and. Uh, you could hear the train whistle blow in the town of Lula, which we're probably, I don't know, it's a crow flies two miles from the train tracks. And the train whistle blew, and Betsy started howling. And I said, Betsy, that's a train leaving Lula. And afterwards, I thought, hmm, might be a song. And that's why I, you know, <laughs> immediately wrote that down. And um, 
and then at, later on, I was I was actually living over on Euclid Avenue, right um, here in Jackson. Right in, yep, and uh, yeah, and started writing that song. So, all right, train leaving Lula. Welcome back to our third and final segment of the Mississippi Arts Hour today. I hope you're having a lovely Sunday, and we are back in the studio with John Mohead. John, welcome back in. Thanks. And Kevin Farrell's here to keep us on track and out of the ditches. Thanks for bringing the guitar and playing uh, a live tune. Every now and then it's great not to have all pre-recorded music. Thanks thanks for doing that. I don't need much of an excuse. (laughs) You carry it around with you everywhere you go anyway. Like like Duff Dura said, have guitar, we'll travel. That's right. That's right. So you got a new record out. You're uh, you own, operate, and are the sh- and you are the chef of Catherine's Moon Lake Restaurant. Yep. Right. And this is a historic eatery on the shores of of the very famous Moon Lake. Yes, it was uh, started in 1937 by Frank and Catherine Rossi, Italian, and, uh, Irish, Italian. Yeah, yeah. She was uh, County Cork, Ireland. He was, yeah, right. he was Italian. Okay. And uh, this basically was like it was their house. Their living quarters were in the back, and and they started, you know, doing food. And then they figured out they could sell, you know, liquor. And uh, that's when it, you know, went speakeasy style. But um, they operated, I guess, like until the up in the seventies. And it went through uh, two, maybe three other owners. And it'd been closed for two years before I got it. Um, I just felt like, like I said, the right brain drove me to it you know but but you had spent so much time on moon lake this place was a place that you knew well that you i guess been many many times it yeah felt personal to you yeah and um and I, yeah and i but i just like i didn't know what else to do you know like i didn't want to get back in the music right right <laughs> at that time at this time you now have a family right yes we're, we're fast forwarding through a lot of yeah. your career uh, here in your uh, bio but but during this hiatus, this 12 years you took off from the music biz where you sort of had all you wanted, this is when you got married, raised a family. Yep. And so you're living on Moon Lake yes. with the family, thinking about what am I going to do next? Do, am I going to be a musician? You, you've tried the art gallery, right? Yeah. And that did so so Yeah, yeah, we, we did really well with it. Um, now, are you also a visual artist? Yeah, I, I'm almost embarrassed to say yes. Um, okay. I'm, I'm not okay. very, I'm not very okay. good. It's the arts hour. Uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, but what do you do? You paint? Yeah, yeah. Paint okay. some. Um, you know, I'm I'm certainly no Gerald Deloach, but well, you know, um, but you know, I try to. I, there again, back to doing what you know and what you're looking at. I'm looking at cypress trees. You know. Most of the time, so I try. you did go to Delta State. So, did you take Sammy Britt? Do you know anything about this Hinchy painting tradition? I didn't take any of that. I'm, okay, I'm aware of it, but it kind of ends there. But it um, you didn't take painting classes at no, Delta State. No, what um, were you studying there? Finance. Uh, yeah, it was something really stupid business. for me. It was like a business major. <laughs> right. So, okay. Yeah, well. I know. It's like, you know, there again, what was is I that? Thinking? The only university you ever attended. Uh, I went to Ole Miss. Ole Miss and Delta yep. State. Okay. Uh, but that was all during the same, you know, am I going to move to Nashville? Am I going to stay there? Am I going to, you know, I was back and forth. Uh, so you, you bought the rest, you bought the building? Yeah. The, you bought the everything. everything. Yeah. You bought the building, the property, and the, the name, and yeah. and the, the business. And you've been open, what, eight years, something like eight that? Eight years, yeah. Bought it in uh, 2010. And you're just now figuring out what to do. I mean, we, <laughs> It's you know, about how long it it's takes. It's quite a learning curve, you know, as you well know, it's, um, First year was a bloody disaster, you know, but um, thank goodness people stuck with us, you know, and it's just built and built and built. 
Tell me about your menu. I think it's sort of New Orleans influence. Am I right yeah, about that? Yeah. Um, well, there were two things that we had to have, and uh, Catherine's was known for their salad, and they were known for their onion rings, which are onion, onion rings were more like a um, funnel cake batter. Mm. Uh, really Puffy. different. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Yep. Um, uh-huh. What kind of onions do you use? Uh, they're like medium yellows. Uh, Yellow, you know? okay. Um, they're not like those Vidalia's uh, right. sweets, you know. But Too um, expensive. Yeah. Exactly. Can't make any money. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you buy from Cisco too, right? <laughs> I have. <laughs> um, but the, the, another funny story with that, I was, you know, I was trying to find, you know, none of these recipes were written down. Of course. Um, and everybody had died. You know, so I just had to go on memory and process, you know, and cooking is a, it's a, you know, it's a chemistry experiment, you know. Right. Um, and a friend, Randall, who's an executive chef uh, in Hollywood for a bunch of stars, he was in one day early when, you know, we were doing our prep and I was just I was like, Randall, I just can't figure out this onion ring thing. You know, all these old timers are telling me it's not quite there. It's not, you're not lacking. quite there, boy. Yeah. This is close. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Randall said, um, give me a beer. I said, Randall, it's not even open yet. It's like the register's not open. Right. It's like, he said, no, give me a beer. And I said, all right. And so I get him a beer and he walks back to the kitchen, dumps it in the batter. And he said, now try that. And we did. And voila. I mean, it's just <laughs> that was you know, it. That yeast, the missing the, the secret whole yeast ingredient. Thing. Yeah, that's that's all it was missing. And and yeah, you know, we've been rolling with it ever since. And what about the salad? The salad or the salad dressing? Is this a doze kind of thing? Well, it's 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 a basically a simple Italian salad, but um, it's we use gorgonzola on it. And I think gorgonzola is the is a key to mm-hmm. it. And um, we mix it. We we do the same thing that the doze does. We you use toss the, it in the big yes, bowl. Yeah, uh-huh. and you make um, multiple at once. Yeah. Yep. And so you're so so then you have fish and steak and all of the typical Black sort of American dishes, some, you know some uh, crawfish sauces you know some you know I'm no saucier but you know I, we, we can we can do a roux. Yeah. Is, is the salad the only nod to the Italian or do you do some red sauces and some pasta and yeah. stuff? Um, well, you know the Italians call it gravy. They don't call That's it, right, you know, gravy. So yeah, we, <laughs> so yeah, we do. You know, simple spaghetti and meatballs, and you know, we do some ravioli and um, try to duplicate. They they used to make their own ravioli. And of course, mm. no one has a recipe for that either. Um, but that's that's for the patients. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's it's kind of like making tamales. It's right. it's really really you know time consuming. You serve tamales? No, no. no. I just I, you know. That's that's a Greenville thing, you know. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> you're too far from Greenville. Yeah, let Greenville do their thing. Yeah, you know? um, um, and you're open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and Sunday. Yeah. Now yeah. Sunday, like a brunch, a yeah, buffet. No, it's just same old, same old. Yeah, and, it's, and, same and Sundays is like the fun day for us because one, we're like, all right, this is this is our you know end of the week, right? And whatever we're you know left with, that's when I you know I'll do some kind of special with you know, hey, we got some crawfish left. Let's yeah. we need to blow through these, so let's. You know that sort of thing, and then the it seems we get more restaurant people on Sunday. You know, come industry in people. Yeah, yeah. You know that everything else is closed right. up there, so that makes it fun. And this is a family operation. Your wife is involved. Uh, and my you... wife Jennifer does is like our uh, publicist slash mm-hmm. hostess with the mostest. Yep. Um, uh, actually, I've, I brought my fourteen year old son. I was going to say, get the a, kids buzzing tables. Oh yet? well, no, he was washing dishes. Man, oh, okay. that's why you know you put him in the worst thing. <laughs> you know, um, 
And it made him realize it's like, you know, I want to do something else, I think. <laughs> well, my daughter, who I had lunch with today, is, is, is firmly convinced she does not want to own and operate Alan Mouse. Huh. You know, she got her fair share of that. Yeah. And that's good. It's yeah. okay. I wouldn't really wish that on anybody. You know? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, they'll think you got to have ketchup in your blood. <laughs> and right. um, But sometimes maybe the ketchup doesn't stay there. Maybe you need a transfusion sometimes, you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, so do you play at your own place? Do you have live music there? You know, we, occasionally we have a couple of times, but um, I have not. Everybody keeps saying I should, but it's like, you know, my... I put my ego away, you know, a few years ago, and I just, you know, I don't know. It's like when you, when you're cooking for people, or it's your food, whether you're actually cooking it, or it's your recipes, or it's your restaurant, you're putting yourself out there. You're on the mm-hmm. stage, so if it's wrong or something's messed up, guess who's going to get blamed? You. So that's going to, you know, hence me. Well, same thing when you're on a stage and you're playing, whether it's a band or whether it's solo, you're putting yourself out there. And I guess maybe that's why I'm drawn to the two things. You know, yeah. it's I, I, I say that I I don't want to do that, but I keep going back to it. So there must be some kind of adrenaline rush or something that makes me want to keep doing it. And, um, you know, on, on stage, you know, you play a wrong note or whatever. It's, you know, it's all me. It's all yeah. on me. So um, I don't think I could stand being like a Elvis in that, uh, what was it, um, that movie that Elvis was in, and he comes out of the kitchen, takes his apron off, and jumps on stage <laughs> right. and plays. You're not that guy. <laughs> no. No, not at all. You're not the guy that bursts out of the kitchen and starts singing, Oh, Mama Rio. You know. No. Okay. But, you know, there's a guy down in uh, uh, Port Gibson who has the fried chicken place, and he comes out of the kitchen and he sings. It's delightful. Who, there, you know, there was a guy that was in New Orleans. At the grocery store there. And he used to, he had full chef regalia and his whole shtick during his show was he would cook a pot of gumbo oh yeah yeah i I booked that guy a bunch of times um, at gumbo festival what was his name i don't remember but Uh, yeah that was but but i know that i know who you're talking about and i've worked with that guy during the whole set he cooked a pot of gumbo (laughs) and talked about it and played songs about gumbo that that could be your third career yeah what was it the cajun uh, show uh, justin justin uh, wilson yeah maybe i I guarantee Put some, uh, you know, some over, not overall, some uh, suspenders on. And, yeah. uh, he was a great storyteller. We loved him. So are you going to go out and, and support this record? So yeah. you got to do some play in there, right? Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, when I got into this and I told the uh, promotion people, it's like, are you, you know, how committed are you on this? And it's like, look, I am committed, but I'm not going to play, you know, every smoky bar that, you know, that an agent will put me in. I don't want to do that. I, I want to, you know, this time around, I want to be heard. And um, and where I'm getting airplay, I'll go play. And, you know, where I'm not, you know, I'm steer away right now. You know, mm-hmm. just um, I don't want to kill myself and go through all that again. And and music's changed so much now. You mm-hmm. know, it's just, it's a different game. It's, um, people don't really buy music anymore. No. You know, um, uh, this girl that I met who was uh, at, at Ardent, um, She'd put out some uh, an EP, had it on Spotify, and had like over a hundred thousand downloads. And she said, "How much money do you think I made?" I said, nah, "You know, I don't know." She said, "Like it was like eight hundred dollars." Good lord! You know, it's like <laughs> you just you know there are people that do well with this, and you you kind of have either you're going to go in 
be an entertainer, do cover songs and entertain people and get paid well, yeah. or you're going to be the artist, the uh, the starving artist, and you know you're going to do this, you know, the singer songwriter thing, or you know the original band music or whatever. But uh, you know, I'm convinced that we're like, you know, like in the '30s, '20s, and '30s, the jazz musicians. No one, I mean, no one was paying those guys. They didn't right. get any notice. They just um, they did what they did because they loved it. And um, they weren't thinking, it's like, oh, man, we're going to make have a million seller with this because they weren't going to get any airplay, you know? Right. And I think we're at that stage now. You know, I think music is um, is more regional, you know? Um, you know, when we were, you and I were in this albums and new release was a big deal. Sure. Now it's a new game, right. you know? The games are the new rock stars, you know? We're not. <laughs> no, we're I'm not. certainly not. <laughs> but it's just, it's totally, totally changed. Yeah. And um, since this is the arts hours, like, and I think we all have to figure out how to make people appreciate something that's created from nothing, you know, and taking it to fruition rather than, you know, what the new game or new app of yeah. the week is, you know. Well, thank you for coming and uh, performing live for us and, and being my guest today on the Arts Hour, uh, John Mohead. And uh, you, my friend, will never be a starving artist because you are a chef and you own a restaurant. There you go. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I feel uh, this has become a cliche, but I, I truly i am in a good place in life. and I'm, I'm happy. I've got a great family. I've got a, a great business. And, you know, if I get to go out and play some, yeah, hey, that's, you know, whipped cream on top you right. know well congratulations on the new record and uh we'll come visit you and eat some salad and some uh beer battered onion rings there you go all right john mohead thanks for being here we'll see you next sunday right here on the mississippi arts hour until then